He was a man that greatly impacted my life. In fact, when I walked into the church that day, I realized that I wasn't alone. Hundreds upon hundreds of people had gathered there as well to honor him. You see, the week just prior, this man in his mid-40s went out to mow his lawn. In the midst of mowing his lawn, had a heart attack and died. Surprise to everyone. And so I walked into the funeral that day expecting a funeral. And yet, what did I get? I got a party. You never would guess it was a funeral. In fact, the moment I walked in, I mean, you didn't hear the sad music, people looking down at the floor, uh, depressed looks on people's faces. No, what you saw was more like a birthday party or an anniversary or something. And people were celebrating. They were laughing. They were having a great time. And I thought, I've never really seen this before. And so everyone kind of came in like we are now, took our seats, and the funeral began. And I'll tell you what, one person after another began talking about this man's life and how he helped them to focus on Jesus. Everything he was about was about God. It was very clear he had touched many lives. And then, of course, the sermon was delivered, and after that was a worship time. Not just a few songs. This went on for 30 to 45 minutes, a time led by this man's own children, as we began collectively to focus on God the beauty of who he is, the power of Christ. I'll never forget it. And then the funeral was over, and so we all left. We got into our cars. We took our spot in the line. You know what I'm saying? We, we kind of all filed up here, and we're ready now to leave, to go to the graveside where he would be buried. Everyone's ready. We're set to go, and suddenly they put a stop on everything because they realized that in all of our excitement, in all of our celebration, in all of our worship of Christ, We had forgotten this man. His casket was still in the church. So a bunch of guys got out of their cars, ran into the church, grabbed the casket, uh, put him inside. And I thought to myself, you know what? In life, this man helped people to focus on Christ. And even in his death, he helped others to focus on Christ. In fact, so much so that we forgot all about him. And that's just the way he would have wanted it. So this man, he had lived his life. He had run his race. He had crossed the finish line. And he had finished well. And that's what Paul is talking about today. What does that look like for you, for me, to live our lives, to run our race, and to finish well? We all want to finish well. And this is the focus here today. And I believe that God is going to speak to many people here today about your life And how you're living now and how God calls you to live. I think it's going to be a beautiful time of healing, of restoration for us. And so please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Philippians 3, starting at verse 12 here, and he begins now writing about this race that we are in. And Paul writes here, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So the first lesson from Paul is this, that pursuing the prize, which is Jesus Christ, mind you, requires clear objectivity. It requires clear objectivity. That in your life, in my life, we have to take a look at where we are, who we are, everything that we're about, we got to call a spade a spade. We stand in front of the mirror, and we don't try to hide. We have clear objectivity. And yet in my life, we've probably all learned a variety of different things. One thing that I've seen 
is that every person I've ever met has a goal. It might be a positive goal or a negative goal, but every person has a goal. We all share that in common. And yet, even though we all have a goal in life, whatever it might be, you can kind of divide people into one or two groups. Either you have people who are incredibly focused and they're going to achieve that goal no matter what, or you have people who want to achieve the goal, but they don't want to do the work it takes to get there. And yet they still feel like that goal should rightfully be theirs. You see, we live in an entitlement society. We live in a day and age where you get a trophy merely for participating, right? That's the day we live in. And Paul, he calls us to something higher, something greater. He says, when you're living your life, as you're running your race, have clear objectivity. Call a spade a spade in your life so you can run and you can run well. That was something my grandfather didn't have, clear objectivity. In fact, not long after the funeral I told you about, I went to his. And I'll tell you what, my grandfather's funeral, everyone was looking down at the ground. The music was sad. And as I stood there looking at his coffin and the few people who had gathered there, I couldn't help but think, I mean, where was his daughter? His daughter who refused to visit him in life, where was she now even in his death? And where were all the family members he had disowned at various points throughout his life? They weren't there to honor him. And where was the peace? My grandfather said that he was a Christian. He had prayed a prayer to follow Christ. And yet, where was the peace? It wasn't evident. See, my grandfather had lived his life. He had run his race. He had crossed the finish line. But he didn't finish well. In fact, he finished with a limp. And the limp was noticeable. Paul says, we've got to have clear objectivity here. We have to live with a not-yet mindset. A not-yet mindset. A not-yet mindset admits that I've not yet obtained the prize. Sometimes we live our lives like it's already ours. And no, it's not. I mean, Jesus has saved us, but we are pursuing him. So the more we pursue him, the more we look like him. So we've not yet obtained the prize, and I've not yet obtained true perfection. We have to understand this, that even though God has done a great work in us, We're saying, God, there's a long way to go. Do what you can in me and will in me so that I can look more and more like Christ. I've not yet obtained true perfection. See, only those who have a clear objectivity about their stance with God are going to live with a holy discontent that spurs them on to to show progress in the race. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. Think about him now. We've learned about him. He's in this prison. He's chained to a Roman guard, right? This is the very man who is the leader of the entire Christian movement at that time. He wrote half of the New Testament, basically. And he has clear objectivity. In fact, he's so honest about himself. Here's what he writes. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living within me. See, Paul's saying, I've got a long way to go. I mean, the things that I know I should do, I am not doing. And the things I know I shouldn't do, well, those are the things that I'm doing. I messed up. And that's why he says here to the Philippians that he desires to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. And what's he talking about there? 
with the idea that Christ took hold of him the moment he was saved, the moment we are saved. Christ takes hold of us. And then we then take hold of Christ. And the more we embrace him, the more we lock eyes with him is the more we look like him. This is what Paul had in mind. And so as we have clear objectivity, it means we're going to take a look at our lives. We're going to say, okay, what is impeding my pursuit? What's impeding my pursuit? Is it a comfortable Christianity? Is it this idea that, you know, what I'm doing now is good enough? That's how my grandfather lived. If you would have asked him before he died, he would have said, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right things. I'm making the right decisions. What I'm doing now is good enough. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Pursuing the prize requires clear objectivity. Do you have that right now? Did you take a look at your life? You calling a spade a spade? Paul then goes on to write, and he says, but one thing I do, he's very confident of this, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature, he writes, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So Paul teaches us here that pursuing the prize requires persistent maturity. Persistent maturity. There's two criteria to living as a mature follower of Christ. The first is this. I must forget my past. I must forget my past. See, so many people are controlled by their past. So many people are held in prison because of their past. So many people live without joy because of their past. As Christians, they come and they say, God, will you forgive me? And he does. And he doesn't remember the past, but we tend to go back there. And it robs us. And Paul's saying, if you're mature, you've got to forget your past. If you doubt what I'm saying, here's some stats. This comes from modern-day science. Think about your life. I've mentioned this before. You have, think about your average day now, you have between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. That's what you have going on up here. Between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. 98% of the thoughts you think today are the same thoughts you thought yesterday. It's true. And 80% of those reoccurring thoughts are negative. They're rooted in your past. And you keep going there, an experience that you had, a choice that you made. We keep going to our past. And Paul's saying, Oh, no, we got to forget the past. God has. You have to forget it. A runner who keeps looking back is a runner who's going to get discouraged, is a runner who's going to lose hope. Far too many people have lost sight of their potential because they keep looking back. Paul says, stop doing that. Start looking forward. Start looking ahead because the prize is here, not here. I think for many Christians and for many people, It looks a lot like this.
let me ask you. Do you have a bag? And what does it consist of? What's in your bag? Sometimes it's our past experience. Something that happened to us that we never wanted, we never saw it, we never asked for it, came out of nowhere. It's 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and we just can't let go. Sometimes it's a choice. It's not like a sinful choice. It was just a choice that you made, and it turned out to be a bad choice. might even be robbing you financially today. You might still feel pain today, and you keep looking back. For others, it's a thought life. You just keep thinking these things, and you keep going back to those things, and they're hurting you, they're harming you. For others... It's a sin in your life. Something that you committed that you that no one knows about, you don't let anyone else know about. It's between you and God, you want to keep it there, but mostly it's up here. Because you can't let go. As a Christian, God's forgiven you, but boy, you can't. You try to move on, and yet you keep focusing on the bag. And Paul's saying, you know what? If you are a Christ follower, if you have come to the point that you've asked for God's forgiveness, and you're saying, God, I need you, please forgive me, then you are a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, I'm making all things new. That's what God is saying. And Paul is saying, stop focusing on your past. It's done. It's forgiven. It's washed away. Stop. Stop doing that. You've got to forget your past. You've got to focus on the future, the future that Christ has for you. You see, once we focus on the future that God has for us, set free from all the baggage he's already set us free from, Well, then we're able to run. Then we're able to pursue him. We're able to be more and more like him. This is what he calls us to. It's a lifestyle where we can embrace the words that Paul wrote. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, But to all who have longed for his appearing, as Paul's telling us here, pursuing the prize requires persistent maturity. Maturity to forget the past and to focus on the future. And so armed then with this objectivity, we call a spade a spade in our lives, and armed with this maturity then, we are then able to set our sights on the goal, on Christ, and go after him go after him so that ultimately we can look more like him. And to that end, Paul writes, he says, join with others that in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. I read this last week. For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And Paul is saying pursuing the prize requires committed discipleship. 
committed discipleship. Discipleship is all about imitating Christ and helping others to do the same. And as we've seen in the Gospels, we see it very clearly. There are basically two types of disciples. We see it over and over again. The first type would be disciples who kept following Christ no matter the cost. They kept pursuing Him no matter what came their way. And these kind of disciples Paul would call friends of the cross. Friends of the cross. But then there were other kinds of disciples. Disciples that, you know, followed Christ, pursued Him, but they kept looking back. And ultimately, they went back. And these kind of disciples Paul calls an enemy of the cross. An enemy of the cross. Paul, he was a friend of the cross. And as a friend of the cross, he encouraged us to follow his example for a couple different reasons. First of all, I think that in order to overcome our hidden sins, we need to learn from somebody who's gut level honest about their own. And Paul was. And in order to get over all of our junk and our struggles, we need to learn from somebody who's faced even greater struggles than we have. That's what Paul did. See, Paul lived with this mindset that said, I am just a beggar helping other beggars to find bread. I am just a beggar helping other beggars to find bread. Paul was a friend of the cross. Then he writes about these enemies of the cross. Now, an enemy of the cross, as I just said, is not somebody necessarily who's directly opposed to God or opposed to Christ. They're merely people who keep looking back and keep bringing some of the past into their present. They're enemies of the cross. In fact, they have up to four different characteristics, Paul writes. First of all, they have a destructive destiny. A destructive destiny. See, someone who says they're a follower of Christ and yet doesn't keep focusing on Christ and keeps focusing there, well, they're not really embracing Christ. And as a result, Jesus said that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And how do you know somebody who's doing the will of the Father? Well, they're focused on Christ. They're focused on Christ and all that he's done, all that he's doing, and all that he's about to do. They're not focused there. They're not focused on bringing some of that past into their present. And then, the second criteria, they would have a deceptive deity. Paul writes, he says that their God is their stomach. It's a confusing phrase. You have to wonder, like, what, what, what God are they feasting upon? Well, I think we get a clue when we look at the Corinthian church that Paul writes. He writes this. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Not my past. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So there was this model that existed in Corinth back then, just in the culture, that the stomach was made for food and the body was made for sex. I think what Paul is saying here is this, that when we allow the God of sex to replace him, well, then we engage in all kinds of activity. For example, in our modern-day culture, we can be Christians who engage in pornography. We sleep with someone before we get married to them, might even live with them before we get married to them. And once we marry them, somewhere down the road, because we keep looking back, because the thought life that we had here just keeps haunting us in the present, we then reach a point where we're unfaithful to the one that we're married to. And Paul describes these kinds of activities as birthing from the worship of a deceptive deity. 
And he says they also could have a delightful disability. A delightful disability. And such enemies of the cross, you see, are delighted to boast about the very things that will bring them down. It's like this hallmate I had when I was in college who made it known to everyone that he was a Christian. Sure enough. And yet he also made it known on a regular basis how drunk he got on the weekends and how many people he hooked up with that he couldn't even remember their names. And he would boast about these things. And Paul says, you know, these kinds of actions feel delightful to the person doing them at the time, which is why they're a delightful disability, because they disable a person from focusing on Christ and being a fully devoted disciple. Then he says they also have a decisive depravity, a decisive depravity. They choose over and over and over again to have a God plus all my stuff approach So for them, their bag is all the things that they want to bring along with them across the finish line. And so they're running, and they got all this stuff they want to bring. And Paul's saying, it's just Jesus. It's all you need. It's all that you need. In fact, another disciple wrote, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. See, I think ultimately what Paul's trying to get us to understand is this, that enemies of the cross live here like they belong here. Friends of the cross live here like they belong there. And that's why Paul says it all depends upon where you have your focus. He encourages us to focus in the right place. And that's why he says our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See, as strangers and aliens in this world, we continue in our pursuit of Jesus, knowing that one day, as we cross that finish line, we are going to be transformed to look just like Jesus. And it's there in heaven that our names have been recorded, our Savior is waiting, the fellow saints have all gathered, and our inheritance will be given to us. And what an incredible day that's going to be. In fact, Paul writes about the day when we will all be called home together. He says, listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Changed to look just like Jesus. What a day it's going to be. That's why it's so important for us to pursue Christ as friends of the cross. Because every friend of the cross crosses that finish line and finishes well. Enemies of the cross live here like they belong here. Friends of the cross live here like they belong there. It all depends upon where you have your focus and what you are pursuing. About a month ago, I was driving here on Sunday morning, about 7.30 in the morning, uh, coming here to church on that day. And I'm sitting at the stoplight at Kemper and Montgomery, right down here, okay? It's a red light. In fact, if you sat at that light before, you know you could die of old age waiting for that thing to turn green, right? I'm sitting there forever, and and so i kind of been lost in my thoughts, and I'm looking to the right, just kind of dazing. And suddenly, I heard all this noise, all this commotion. And I look to my left, 
and I saw this dog. Okay, this dog had caught something in his sights he wanted to get to that was across Montgomery Road. But he had a couple problems, you see, because he was leashed to a table that previously had sat at Starbucks, but now is behind him. And so he's running, trying to get across the road, and this table is so annoying him, he's attacking the table, he's barking at the table, because he wants to be freed from the table. And then in the midst of this, people start running into the street to try to save the dog's life. Some people got the table, some people got the dog, and they're all coming around to try to save this situation. And they brought him, you know, out of the street, and I thought, you know what, isn't that like us? Isn't that like us? We're focused, we're, we want to run, and yet we're strapped to our table, whatever our table happens to be. And we get frustrated with it. We don't want it there. It's robbing us of joy. In fact, people even come around us in our lives trying to help us to get rid of the table. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Do yourself a big favor. Forget the table. And start focusing on the only one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything you can ever ask or think. Focus on Christ. So today, I want you to think about one thing. One thing. One thing that's in your bag. Memory, an event, a choice, a sin, a memory, you know, things that you keep thinking about over and over again. What's in your bag? I want you to think about one thing, the most powerful thing that's holding you back. And if you're a Christian today, just say, God, give me the power and the strength to rely on your grace and to trust you and help me to forget it. Move forward as I pursue Jesus because I want to cross that finished line and I want to finish well. And for every believer who does that, every believer who runs focused on Christ, it also means that as a true disciple, We're going to bring someone along with us. Probably looks something like this. Okay, hold on. Hold on, guys. I'm going to talk to you for a second. Okay. I know. Every day I live, I realize I need the Lord more. I don't feel like I started well. I want to finish well. What I want for you is that you seek the Lord, that you trust Him, even if it means you're standing alone. You got me? Yes, sir.